Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So let me take you back about 100 years to the Bolshevik Revolution. You remember when the communists took over the Russian regime, they murdered Tsar Nicholas II. You remember this, right? No, you don't. It's been a long time ago. But that meant all of Tsar Nicholas's officials were either put to death or they fled the country, as did one family. And I want to focus on this one family fleeing Russia. There's a teenage son named Anthony. So their lives were in danger. They fled Russia. They ended up in Paris. And all of a sudden, instead of death, they were surrounded by luxury. Instead of worrying about survival and desperation, now they had everything they wanted and life was one of ease. And it threw this 16-year-old into a world of confusion. How could life be so dark in some areas and so easy in other areas? And he decided that without meaning in life, happiness has no reason to exist. And so he decided if he couldn't figure out the meaning of life within one year, he would take his own life. And so he set out on that search. Well, that year came full circle, and he still had yet discovered anything that would make life have any meaning whatsoever. Then a friend of his invited him to go hear a Christian speaker, and what happened is not what you expect. He was repulsed by everything he heard about Christ and about God, and it was confusing, and he was angry about it, so much so that when he came home, he asked his mom, do we have a Bible? And I want to read some about this Jesus and see if what that guy said about him is really found in Scripture. And so he looked at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He found that Mark was the shortest, and he said, well, I don't want to waste very much time. I'll read that one. And so he started reading the Gospel of Mark. And here's what he says. By the way, this man's name is Father Anthony of Sorutz. He would eventually go on to be a church leader for the Eastern Orthodox Church. But that this is way before that. He's a 17-year-old kid trying to figure out, does life mean anything at all? And he says this, I don't know how to tell you what happened to me. I will put it simply, for those of you who've gone through a similar experience, you'll know what I'm talking about. While I was reading the beginning of St. Mark's Gospel, before I had reached the third chapter, I became aware of a presence. I saw nothing. I heard nothing. It was not an hallucination. It was a simple certainty that the Lord was standing there, and I was in the presence of Him whose life I had begun to read. This was my basic and essential meeting with the Lord. From then, I knew that Christ did exist. It was in light of the resurrection that I could read with certainty the story of the gospel, knowing that everything was true in it because the impossible event of the resurrection was to me more certain than any other event in history. And so as we've prepared for Easter this year, as I've prepared for Easter, this has been my prayer for this time right here. Not that you would enjoy the music or like the sermon, but that you would sense a presence, maybe right here, or sense a presence beside you, or maybe looking over your shoulder. 
So we are going to be in St. Mark's Gospel, not at the beginning, but at the very end. This is the shortest chapter in the shortest gospel. It's Mark chapter 16, and it contains only eight verses that talk about the resurrection. But short though it may be, my prayer is that right now you would sense the presence of Jesus. So here's the account from Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, so let me put a a date stamp on this. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He died on Friday. Saturday was the Sabbath. It was a day in which work was prohibited. Even something like preparing somebody for burial, you couldn't do that. That was off limits. So they hastily put Jesus in a tomb, and they said, we'll come back and finish this. So after Sabbath, on the first day of the week. Now, this is why Christians every week gather on Sunday to worship, because it's the day of the resurrection. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, who had suffered from mental illness and demonic possession, Mary, the mother of James, one of the other disciples of Jesus, and Salome, we don't even know anything about her, but they come with spices that they might anoint the body of Jesus. Could I encourage you with these words? I don't know what you faced this week. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing even when and especially when you don't feel like it. These women had charge. They had to go and prepare the body of Jesus to finish the embalming process. They did not feel like doing it, but it was the right thing to do. I don't know if that captures anybody's attention in here, but maybe that's the one thing you needed to hear today. Do the next right thing. So, they anointed the body of Jesus very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb. So I don't know if you caught it this week. This week was the 50th anniversary of the invention of the cell phone. It was on April 3rd, 1973, that Martin Cooper at Motorola Labs stepped out onto 6th Street in Manhattan with a thing the size of two bricks put together. Do you remember those? Those were hard to carry on your hip, but we tried. So he steps out with his first cell phone very first phone call he makes. He calls Joel Engel, his competitor at Bell Laboratory, who is trying to invent the very same thing. He calls his competitor and says, I'm talking to you on a personal, handheld, battery-operated, no landline device, neener, neener, is basically what he said, okay? So is that not a foreshadowing of how cruel we would all be to each other with digital media for the next 50 years? The first phone call made was one of mockery. So as these three women approach the tomb, they are mocked by it. They had bet their lives that Jesus was the Messiah. They had pinned their hopes to who he was. They were hoping that he was going to be the one to bring about God's kingdom. He had certainly changed their lives, but here the biggest power known to humanity had crushed him. And everything they had hoped in seemed to be gone. The tomb was a mockery of all their hopes. So then there's this human moment. Oh, who will row the stone away from the entrance? They'd brought all the spices. They had brought everything that they needed, but they had forgot one essential element. Who's going to move this stone? By the way, in the first service, a little boy was sitting out here and said, Jesus. It was so cute. 
I told him to be here for all three services, and he's not here, right? So I have a little foreshadowing, but this is just a human moment. There, it's close enough. We'll go with that. <laughs> that was, that was uh, Jesus and tongues, I guess. I don't know what that was. <laughs> so I've been to Israel. And when you see these tombs, they're, they're littered all over the landscape. They're soft limestone. And so the poor would, would chisel out a very small cave. In fact, some of these, on, just on the side of the road, you see they're just a small cave, just big enough to slide one six-foot person in, and the stone is about yay big. But Jesus wasn't buried in the tomb of a pauper. He was buried in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. And this was a mausoleum. This was meant to hold one day his entire family. And Jesus was the first one to be put there. And so this stone was massive. And these three women could not move it on their own. Who will roll the stone? And then in verse 4, but. Here's where the whole thing pivots. But when they looked up, they saw two things. They saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. They saw two things. They saw something unexpected, and they saw something unexplainable. Now, I want to explore those here for just a moment, but I want you to notice what we are not given in the gospel of Mark or any gospel for that matter. What we are not given is the exact resurrection event. We're not told what happened when Jesus came out of the tomb, what it looked like, what transpired. I think that there are some things that were only meant to be between Jesus and God, right? But we are not given this spectacular come out of the tomb event. I kind of wish we were. So in the, in the first service, um, I, I told a story at this point, and I have a few people that I trust in the first service. I have no one I can trust in this service, but in the first service, there's a few people I trust, and I say, you know, if I say something that, you know, maybe I need to cut or revise, would you let me know? And so one person came up to me after the first service and said, the, the Admiral Lord Nelson story, don't tell that one in the second or third service. But I told it in the second service, and they voted yes, so here we go. Admiral Lord Nelson, greatest naval officer in British history. He was killed at the Battle of Trafalgar, but it was five days' sail from the home country of England, and so his men wanted to preserve his body. And this is weird, but they, they put him in a cask of brandy, a huge cask. I mean, what a way to go out. They put him in this cask of brandy to preserve his body, and they sealed it up, but they did not think about the, the gases that often come out of a human body. There was a soldier stationed in the hold of the ship 24-7 at attention, guarding the body of Lord Admiral Nelson, Admiral Lord Nelson, because he was the greatest naval officer and he could do anything. Well, that gas continued to build up, and at one point, the whole cask exploded, and the soldier guarding the body thought Admiral Lord Nelson had come back from the dead. He was back, Right? So how many of you wish I had not told that story? You can raise your hand right now if you want. It's fine. We're not given this big explosive event that happens. We don't see it. What we see is the aftermath. By the way, we live in a world that people might not believe in the resurrection. By the way, there's always been a world where people don't believe in the resurrection. If they're ever going to believe, then they need to see two things. They need to see something unexpected, 
and they need to see something unexplainable. They need to see something unexpected in you. If you're a Christ follower, lean in. They need to see that you live a life in peace even when the world is going crazy. That's unexpected. And then to see something unexplainable, how you can love other people, love one another, and love the world, can't be explained on human terms. So they saw this, and the funniest line in this whole account is when the angel says, don't be alarmed, yeah, right, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. Now, I want to stop and focus on these words here for just a moment because like many words, sometimes we just skip right by them without really paying attention to their import. Uh, I know I'm telling a lot of stories this morning, but a lot of things are coming to mind. So, Teddy Roosevelt, he hated those formal events at the White House. He hated greeting dignitary after dignitary and saying all the niceties of, on behalf of the United States, I welcome you to the White House, blah, blah, blah. And one night, he and his daughter Alice, she was a spitfire. She put an idea in mind that as he greeted all these dignitaries as they went by, he would say, welcome to the White House. I just killed my grandmother this morning. And all these dignitaries, they would just kept by absentmindedly, it's good to meet you too, Mr. President. That's very good. You know, and they just, they weren't listening. Finally, one ambassador heard him. He greeted him and said, I just killed my grandmother this morning. The other ambassador said, well, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Catch what those words mean. Jesus of Nazareth, that was nowhere. He started out life as a nobody, insignificant, inconsequential. He walked down the streets and nobody recognized who this person really was. And then he was crucified. Roman crucifixion was there for two reasons, to cause shame and pain. And anyone who met with that fate was considered cursed. But this person who you underestimated, this person that you did not value, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on, you can do better than that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You underestimated him. You discounted him. But he's back. That's right, he's back. So now, if I were writing this gospel, I would not end it the way Mark ends it. In fact, Matthew kind of ends with a flourish. Luke ends very thoughtfully. John is almost poetic. If all the books were written, I suppose they could not contain everything that we should know about Jesus. Mark is going along, and it just drops off the edge. Now, I'm going to stop at verse 8 because that was the original ending of Mark. What we have is an ancient appendix that somebody said, you know, we kind of need to soften the landing of this gospel but I like it the way it is. Because if you were trying to engineer a story to convince everyone, you probably wouldn't write it like this, but this is what happened. It says this in verse eight. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb and they didn't say anything to anyone because they were, here's the last word of the gospel, afraid. So there's a couple of reactions that we have to the resurrection, and there's a, a few responses that we'd have in, in following Jesus, and I think it's all right here for us. 
Sometimes when it comes to God, we tremble. Let me put it this way. If you decide to follow God, if you decide to be a follower of Jesus, you will understand God less, not more. <laughs> Boy, is that encouraging or what? But, but when you follow Jesus, you think, oh, I'll follow Jesus and everything will make sense. No, it doesn't. And sometimes even in the short term, I understand God less, not more. I don't know what he's up to. A writer by the name of Will Campbell, he's driving down the road with a friend of his who basically has rejected Christianity, but he said, when I talk to other Christians, I want to know what Christianity is about. So he said this, he said, tell me what this Jesus cat is all about. He said, and I want you to explain the gospel to me in 10 words, 10 words or less. So Will Campbell thinks about it for a while, and he says this, and I'm going to clean it up a little bit just because it's church. He said, we're all jerks, but God loves us anyway. If I were to define Christianity, we're all jerks, but God loves us anyway. His friend pulled over to the side of the road. He counted up the words, and he said, that's only eight. I gave you 10 words, and you only used eight. I don't know if Will Campbell added any words to that, but I would add the two words on top of, we're all jerks, but God loves us anyway, I would add the words, he's risen. He's risen indeed. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. His love doesn't make sense. The fact that he wants a relationship with me doesn't make sense. But it is. So sometimes God becomes more confusing, not less. And not only were the women trembling, they were bewildered. So if you decide to follow Christ, if you fall in love with God, God's going to be more confusing, not less, and sometimes life is going to become more challenging, not less. And I see this happen many, many times with people. They decide to follow Christ, they even follow Him in baptism, and as soon as that happened, life hits them straight in the face. Boy, that was loud. Life hits them straight in the face. It's, it's jarring. They thought, when I followed Christ, I thought life would become easier. No. It becomes more challenging than before. Because now you're not following your own way, you're following Him who is alive and well in the world today and in your life. And that's challenging. Amen. Silversmith was holding the metal in the fire as spectators were looking on at him performing his craft. How to keep the metal in the fire just long enough to burn off all the impurities, but not so long as to damage the silver itself. And so one person said, how do you know when to pull the silver out of the fire? And the silversmith said, well, long experience has taught me how much it can take. He said, but really, I keep it in the fire until I can see my face. And when I see my face, I know it's ready. If you follow Christ, sometimes it does feel like we're in the fire. Right? It's not there to damage us. It's there to purify us. Also, we get to the point where Christ can see himself in us. That means that life is sometimes more challenging and not less. So here we have these women, these three women who flee the tomb, and it's kind of an inglorious ending, but it's true that they were trembling and they were bewildered and even they were afraid. And let me tell you, whatever reaction you have to the gospel this morning, whatever reaction you have to Christ, I think it's okay to be bewildered. I believe it's okay to tremble. I believe it's okay to be afraid. There's probably only one emotion that would offend God. And only one thing in light of everything that's here that is the improper response. And that is, and this is the true pandemic of our culture. 
indifference. Indifference to who Jesus is. Can you take one more story? Can you take one more story? Okay. Because I'm going to give it to you anyway. Here, here it comes. Yeah, you, you know me. Right? So this is a Roman Catholic bishop. Boy, we talked about Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholics. We're the, we're the Baptist in the story today, right? So a Roman Catholic bishop tells this story of three boys that decide to go into the church on the day of confession and to pull a prank on the priest. These three boys would get into the confessional and confess all these lurid sins that they had not committed and then run. Well, as soon as the priest realized it was a prank, he opens the door to confession. The two boys, the two older boys who are fleet-footed, run out. He catches the third, and he pulls him back, and he says, I know you, and I know your parents, and you're in big trouble. He said, or, I tell you what, and he turned him toward the crucifix. Now, we just have a cross here, but use your imagination. Turned toward the crucifix, he said, I tell you what. I'll let you off. I won't tell a soul. If you say three times, you look at that crucifix and you say, you did all this for me and I don't care too much. The little boy celebrated on the inside. I am home free. So he turned to that crucifix and said, you did all that for me. But I don't care too much. And then he said it again. You did all that for me. And I don't care too much. And the third time, you did all that for me. And he couldn't finish. I'm not telling you what to do today, but maybe if you're struck by indifference to the whole gospel thing, to who Jesus is, I dare you. I double dog dare you. You look at this and you say, you did all that for me, and I don't care too much. Even if that's true, at least you're finally being honest. But maybe, just maybe, those words will catch in your throat and catch in your soul because maybe you have been looking for the meaning of life somewhere. You thought you'd find it in marriage or in your career or wherever, and there's still this emptiness on the inside. I know I've referred to suicide a couple of times today. It's just been unintentional, but it's kind of been floating to the top. There are two ways to change your life. Well, more than that. One is to take your life. And by the way, my family has been touched by suicide. If there's somebody here today, you're thinking of this. It does not solve the problems. It just casts them down for somebody else. You can take your life. Or you can give your life. You can give your life away to the one who loves you. And even though we are jerks, he loves us anyway. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.